Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, last week, on Ash Wednesday, we meditated on the Lord's Ten Commandments. We remember that this is the words that the Lord gives to us, his, his will for our lives, on how we are to live as God's people in this life until we are called to the life of the world to come. And so we consider in the Ten Commandments how God expects us to live and move, and to have our being. Well, this week, tonight, we consider exactly who that God is, who gives those commands to us. This is the interaction between the Ten Commandments and the Creed. The Ten Commandments tells us what God's will is. The Creed tells us who God is and what God does. Now, we, might, we ought to note at the outset this reminder that we have historically three creeds of the church. We have the, the first, the Apostles' Creed, which is sometimes called the Children's Creed or the Teaching Creed. This is the creed we use in catechesis uh, to teach the basics about the faith. It's the creed that is primarily used in home devotions and in meditations and in all the prayer offices of the church. Uh, We have then the Nicene Creed, which is a little bit expanded. This comes out of the Council of Nicaea, where they fight against particularly the Arian heresy. Uh, And it has especially the expanded portion on the nature of Christ. This is why it gets historically used in communion services, because of its confession of who Christ is, that he's very God of very God, begotten, not made, etc., as we confessed a moment ago. And that that is the God, that is the Christ that we receive in our mouths, in the body and blood from the altar. And then we have the the, the longest of the three, the Athanasian Creed, attributed to St. Athanasius, who fights also against the Arians. Um, And this is out of, uh, this is the strongest formulation of the Trinity itself and the interrelationship between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the mystery that there are what, there are three persons and yet one God, uh, and, and all that that entails. And so we confess, for example, that um, there are not uh, three lords, even though the Father is Lord and the Son is Lord and the Spirit is Lord, there are not three lords, but one Lord. And this is usually confessed on Trinity Sunday uh, and also periodically at other major festivals uh, throughout the year, depending on where you're at. And while these Three creeds are all different from each other as, as far as the, the words that they use, although the, the Nicene and the apostles are very, very similar to each other. Um, there, there is a fundamental similarity between them, and that is what they are doing, what they are giving us to speak. They are giving us to speak who God is and what God does. Now, we need, we need to remember also at the outset what, what a creed is, why we call it a creed. This simply comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. If you 
look at the creeds, having originally been written in Latin, and you look at the first word of each of them, uh, they, they be, well, of the Nicene, the apostles, they, they start with this word, credo, I believe. That's why we call it a creed. There's nothing particularly uh, fanciful about that word. It's kind of our naming convention. We tend to not be that creative when we name things. We just take whatever the Latin word is at the beginning of something, and that's its name forever. Um, we had that, for example, in the, the naming of the, the, the days of the church year. Now, the creeds give us this language, though, this common language by which we confess uh, God, that we confess his personhood, who he is, that he's the Father, and that he is the Son, and that he is the Holy Spirit, but also it gives us this common confession of what God does in those persons, and so that we confess that he creates and sustains us in all of creation, that he redeems us and saves us, that he calls us that he sanctifies us, that this is his work that he is doing. And this is what the creeds are giving us to confess. And so when someone comes and they ask you, what do you believe? You can simply recite the creed. There, there is nothing wrong about that. In fact, uh, every year uh, for our homeschool group, we have to have like this confession of faith uh, that we have to write down and submit as part of our application. So every year we simply write down the creed. That's what we believe. Uh, and, it is, and it is a wonderful gift to be able to do this. You don't, you don't have to overthink the thing. And, and it is a marvelous gift that the church has passed down to us over the centuries to have this common language by which we can confess who God is for us and what he has done for us. Now, we see this sort of merging of these two things, the person of God and the work of God, in our first two readings, in the Old Testament and the Epistle reading. So, for example, uh, with Moses, when he comes near to God in the burning bush, it's bracketed at the beginning and the end of God confessing to Moses who he is. Uh, first, that um, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's his, his being. Uh, and then at the end, when Moses asks him, who shall I say sent me? He says, tell them, uh, he, he gives him his name, I am who I am, or more literally, I am the one who exists. Uh, that is to say that the, the, the one that is in this fire that's not consuming the bush, that this is the God who existed from the beginning of creation, who in fact created all things, that he's the God who is there not only with Moses' father, but also with his fathers in the faith, with um, Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, the same God, and the God who would continue to be into all eternity the God who is, the God who simply exists. That, that's who God is. But then he also confesses what he does. And that's the center portion of the text where he comments that he's heard the cries of his people Israel and that he is sending Moses in order to bring them out of Israel and into a good land flowing with milk and honey and to, be his, to continue to be his people. This is the work of God. So you see there the, the redeeming, a reflection of the redeeming and saving work of God, but also the fact that God does stuff in creation like the sending of pastors, Moses being the example in that case. In the epistle, we see another uh, connection to this. We see that you, you have this confession of God being the Father at, at the beginning and also of Jesus Christ, the Son, and at the end you have God who is the Holy Spirit, 
So you have the, the particular names of God in there, but then you also have his work, namely that the Father's chief work is that of not creating but sending the Son. If we remember, uh, St. John gives to us in the beginning of his gospel that it's actually the work of the Son to create, that it's by him and through him that all things are made, um, which is a little bit different than the way we normally think about it. Uh, but the work of God in creating is not his chief work. It's the sending of Christ. And Christ is there to do all of these things, to bless us with every blessing, to adopt us in Christ as sons and heirs, to redeem us by the blood of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is then given to us at the end of this. He sent proceeding from the Father and the Son, as we confess, uh, to seal us in that promise and grace until we attain the fullness of it uh, in the life of the world to come. Now, all of this, all these things that, that we've been talking about, these are all the, the Old Testament, the epistle, the creeds, these are all, at the end of the day, responding to this question that Jesus gives us to ask. That he asks the disciples. He first asks, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some others say Elijah, and others say uh, one of the prophets. And then he asks them just point blank, but who do you say that I am? He's kind of asking, what, what's the right answer to that question? And Peter gives the right answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is, this is an, a fundamentally important question for us to answer. Who do we say that Jesus is? Remembering that even within the Trinity, that it is the work of the Father to send Jesus and it is the work of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus and to give us the blessings of Jesus. Everything is centered on it. If you ever wondered why in the creed, the largest article of the creed is the work of Jesus, that's part of the reason why. And the other part is that God has revealed himself to us, particularly in the person of Jesus. And so while we can and we should have a general confession of God, that he's triune, three persons, but still one God, we, we should have a very specific confession, especially of who Jesus is and what he does. Now, if, if you want to see where a church is or a Christian or any individual, uh, where they're at on the uh, theological or spiritual spectrum, you can ask them this question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? And how that they answer that question will be very telling as far as how they think broadly even about God himself. And there's a variety of ways that we see this get answered uh, in the world. We have uh, Jesus as my best friend. We have Jesus as uh, being my mascot. This, this would be the sort of things where like uh, people will wear uh, crosses uh, on, on their on jewelry and on hats and all this sort of stuff, but really have no other connection to Jesus other than uh, he kind of ends up being, uh, the, the cross ends up being no different than like the chief's logo. Um, it, he's a mascot essentially for our lives. Um, it does not say, by the way, that, that having crosses and whatnot on our uh, jewelry or on our clothing and whatnot is a bad thing. It just ought not be the only connection we have to Jesus. Uh, or that Jesus is a good teacher. And in that, uh, it, it's usually capped there. Jesus is only a good teacher. Uh, or Jesus is my therapist. Uh, he's, he's the one who makes me feel better about myself. Or Jesus is a good moral teacher. Uh, th this is where you get uh, people like uh, Thomas Jefferson actually does this, if you don't know. He has kind of infamously a thing called the Jefferson Bible, where he literally cuts out 
a whole bunch of parts of his Bible in order to make Jesus who he wants him to be, and that is a teacher of morality. And that's it. So the miracles of Jesus, for example, are cut out. The statements of his divinity are cut out. The resurrection of Jesus is cut out. Well, there are truths within all of those. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our teacher. He is a moral guide, etc. He is, it, it kind of, in essence, a, a mascot. Uh, if you, it's probably not the best word to use for it, but he does represent us. Um, all of these sorts of things. But ultimately, because they're only that, they only confess this little piece, they ultimately confess false Christ. And none of them confess the core of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. None of these confess a Jesus that can save you from your sin. None of these confess a Jesus who can redeem you from death. None of these confess a Jesus who can crush the head of the serpent. At the end of the day, all of them are an impotent Jesus. They, they can't actually do anything. Confessing who Jesus is rightly is uh, a matter, quite literally, of life and death, of eternal and spiritual life and death. We see this in how when Peter, after he's given the correct confession, when he tries to bring Jesus away from the expansion of what that means, that Jesus calls him Satan. If, if we have any doubts as to how big of a deal this is. But thankfully, because God is gracious and merciful to us, because this is such a big deal, God does not leave us doubting as to what the right answer is. He gives us the answer. And that's in the gospel text. Who, who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean for him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? That he will be handed over into the hands of uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and sinful men, that he will be beaten and shamefully treated, that he will be killed, and on the third day he will be raised. And all that for us. That is what it means to answer this question rightly. Who is Jesus. And then, even more than that, the scriptures in their entirety are constantly giving us the answer to this question, who is Jesus for us? And what is he doing for us? That is the narrative of the entire scriptures. That's why when Jesus uh, takes up the scriptures and he says things like, you believe that in them you have life, it is they that testify of me. That the Bible is fundamentally about Jesus. And so we have all of these words to say about him, and we ought to use those. And all of this is then marvelously summarized into the creeds. Uh, now, if, if, if you're interested in this, you can let me know after the service, and I can get you this. A while back, I put together a booklet that simply takes the creeds like piece by piece, and it gives Bible verses for each of the parts of the creed, like, and we're talking like, um, even just the phrase, I believe in God is its own thing. Uh, the Father, that God is Father, that he's almighty. All these individual parts that we confess within the creed, uh, that I provide Bible passages on how what we're doing is we're taking the scriptures and we're condensing all of what the scriptures are saying about God and Christ into a common language for us to confess. 
that we can remember, because my guess is not all, you, you don't, nobody in here remembers the entire Bible. Maybe you do, you can tell me after church. But you can remember the creed. You can remember that. And that contains all of it in this marvelous way. And not only does it then give us this common language to confess this, uh, and not only confess this ourselves and to believe these things, and also to teach to those who are around us, and especially to our children, but also it gives us a common language to confess to the world, and it gives us a common language to confess with the church historic, so that we would confess the same things as all those saints who have come before us, since we worship the same God and we dwell in the same faith. And so, dear saints, let us continue to take up these words in the creed as a treasure that they are, that we may confess both who God is and what he's done for us, that he is our father, that he's created us as his beloved creatures, that he is our, the son who has redeemed us as his beloved children, and that he is the Holy Spirit who has sanctified us as his beloved heirs of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.